0: Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
1: This has been a truly ex- extraordinary week. And these are days of great consequence for our nation and for our community. But the Lord is is close, and we have comfort and hope in him. The amazing thing about the exchange of monarchs is it's seamless in our constitution. It just happens. It's an extraordinary thing. No battle for power, no, no looking for the paperwork. Of course, that then happens afterwards, but there's a moment of seamless change. But we can miss how seismic what has happened really is. Someone whose life's covered just a swathe of history, a third of America's history, 14 presidents, 15 prime ministers. Her first prime minister was born when Queen Victoria was queen. These are consequential times. And as Lulu said, some of us will feel sad, moved, overwhelmed. Others, and I'll put myself in that category, have questions about what it looks like to honor the monarchy when this history that feels still unresolved has become to terms with the harm of the empire, of which the monarch, of course, presided over. These questions are valid, and all of this, I think the different experiences that we have of this week with the Queen's death may lead us to feel vulnerable It's truly a vulnerable moment, and it's not just the Queen dying. Lulu mentioned that we were at this vigil last night, that we we organised. And it was responding to the death of a teenager, a party that got out of hand just up the road. The community traumatised. Neighbours where Lulu and I lived that saw the events just in complete shock, and of course his friends and families. It was wave after wave of young people. His friends from school coming with candles that they'd brought. The police reckoned about 250 people in total. Many of us feeling vulnerable in this room after those events. Itself feeling fairly vulnerable as flickering flames remembered a life that was tragically taken. And then the extreme grief. His young brothers there. For many of us not seen often grief like that express the sheer, raw devastation of pain out of the, the voice of a child. It, it's traumatic. It's left us feeling vulnerable. And more broadly, of course, these are vulnerable times. COVID suddenly makes us question shaking hands and hugging, and we're aware of tiny little things that can cause nations to shut their borders and planes to be landed and suddenly a new awareness of biology and bacteria is, is making us all a little bit more vulnerable. The war crane makes the global picture look uncertain as of course does the climate crisis. These are vulnerable moments. The cost of living brings it all to home particularly for those who already had the least. These are vulnerable times. We all experience vulnerability, those awkward moments, difficult moments when when you overhear yourself being talked about, terrible moments, I don't know if you've done it, when when you've talked about someone and you're trying to text someone else about the person and you text the person. Anyone done that? Yeah? Sent an email once that almost got me sacked doing that. That sudden moment of vulnerability. I remember when I had a bad bike crash, suddenly being aware of my body. The dream, the classic nightmare dream of being naked in front of your class, school, or church. Vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. Vulnerability is when we feel weak, when we feel exposed, afraid. And most common for many of us in that moment of vulnerability is shame. Shame. That sense that not just I've done something wrong, but I am wrong in this moment. I'm shamed. Vulnerability is inevitable, but what do we do with our vulnerability? I want to talk tonight into this vulnerable moment in our nation, in our world and in our lives. And I want to say that vulnerability isn't necessarily bad. In fact, the Christian life requires vulnerability. But the Christian life redeems vulnerability. The, Christianity, the Christian life redeems vulnerability and uses it as the source of its power. The Christian life requires vulnerability. The Christian life redeems vulnerability and uses it as the source of its power. And this is followed after the pattern of Christ. And I want to point to a couple of points in, in Queen Elizabeth's life where it's reflected and illustrated and leave us looking at Christ by the end. Our reading from Philippians, the verses will come up on the screen. It's an early letter to the church from Paul, written to encourage them to be the church. And we're at a passage here where he says, come on guys, just, you know... Be good, basically. You've got a job to do. You're representing God on earth. And here's a way to live. A way that represents God. Be of the same love. Be one spirit. Like-minded. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Vain conceit rather than humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Love one another. You know, be a great community. And then he's kind of remembering. But of course it's just people like you and me that are sucky at that kind of stuff and can't do it well. So he's like, I've got to inspire them. So he quotes a banger, like that new song that Becca sang. He's like, what's the big hit at the time? And it's poetry, and it's almost certainly people think a hymn that would have been sung at the time. And he quotes this for the purpose to inspire their lives. In your relationships with one another, verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, in being very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Verse 7, he made himself nothing. The word is kenosis. It means to be emptied. Like a bucket poured out. God was emptied. What does that mean? The only one who didn't need to be vulnerable. Of course, by God, we must mean that which isn't, that which is beyond, that which is powerful, eternal, other, out there, but our God became baby. That which is meant to be exterior to all created things. The whole exterior of the universe got a face, a regional accent, friends, lived a life, had birthday parties. I don't know, that's, that's, I have no idea what first century Jewish customs are around birthdays, but he became human, fully human, Fully God. And so the idea of restrained power is deeply Christian because it's what Christ did. And why did this happen? Why did God become human? For the purpose to save us. It means to rescue us. And I just want to remind us why that was necessary and just retell the story that you, you may have heard it, big and popular culture but the story that comes from the beginning of the Bible the story of Adam and Eve and it says of Adam that he was made that he wasn't enough as he was and he needed another and so in his sleep God took from his rib and made Eve. A sense of Adam not being enough is demonstrated by this use of a word for Eve that sometimes describes Translated quite weakly as help. See, a word that's as a canende that's only ever used of God. Salvation or rescue is is closer to it. Adam and Eve made for community, a team, a dynamic of togetherness. That's the original story, made for each other. And it says in, in Genesis, they were naked and without shame. Vulnerable but no reason for shield or defense. Deeply made for each other, made for community, and made in vulnerability. And then, as you might know, the story goes that Adam and Eve disobey God, and sin causes a separation to God and each other. In that separation, in that space between them, shame enters the story, and they wear clothes. I'll be clear that I'm not proposing a return to Eden and the nudist colony is not around the corner. On the term card, you won't see it there. Clothes are a really good idea because at that point, there's no longer community. There's division. There's an appropriate response to the fear that they feel suddenly to protect one another. You see, shame pushes... Each other away before that disconnection before rebellion there was just community no threat but with fear freud described fear as as the moving away through emotion you physically respond through the emotion of fear and you just push away and that's what happens in this story so when god comes looking adam says i was afraid so i hid The vulnerability that was part of their connection, the lack of barrier, became for them the need now to protect one another. The nakedness that was a gift, in fact, now becomes a curse. They feel shame. Shame is that feeling where you push away out of fear. Connecting with one another not by love and not by in community, but now humanity connecting with one another via shame, suspicion. And this is why Jesus came as a human. In order to deal with the fundamental reality of vulnerability, the extraordinary thing is that Jesus came into the very condition of shame, the very condition of vulnerability. In creation, Eve came from Adam. but the humility of God is that Jesus came from the New Eve, Mary, and he was the new Adam. He's restoring, and he is redeeming, but by first encountering our vulnerability the very condition of what makes us feel shame and that cringe, you know shame when you cringe, when you realise you've sent a text to the wrong person, when you hear your name and you don't go in the room. That desire just to be outside, the fear at which we hide and present a defended view of ourselves to the world. That's why Jesus became human, because it's so fundamental. It couldn't be tinkered with from above. Had to get to the root level. Because he didn't want to tear it all up. He's the gardener that, that, that actually the problem was so deep, he got into the soil. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The most vulnerable moment of all, when Jesus stripped bare, dying on a cross, shame publicly mocked and humiliated. Why? To save us. Why? He assumed, as one of the early church thinkers said, what he assumed he could save, but what was not assumed he could not save. That's when they debated about whether he had to be human or not. It's like, no, he really was human. He really, really was human. Because what he encountered, he was able to overcome. All the shame of the cosmos, all the shame of your heart poured into that moment on the cross where God, the only one who didn't need to be be vulnerable, chose to be vulnerable, became one of us, died so that we could live. So church is meant to be a laboratory for what happens the other side, where connection is risked. Because it is risky, isn't it? To connect with people, we need to be vulnerable. But to be vulnerable takes risk, takes courage. You see, vulnerability leads to connection. But it's a bit scary, to be honest, to be unveiled. Appropriately not clothing, I'm not in any way condoning nakedness, to be clear. But even just share really with words what's going on for you. But vulnerability leads to connection. That's what God wants. That's why God became one of us. He wants to connect with us. So the church is to be a laboratory of how appropriate vulnerability leads to connection. Our condition that's individual and corporate and national in these moments, our condition of vulnerability will either lead to shame, to defense, to fear, or connection. That moment you feel exposed in the room, you have decisions to make. That's why when someone else goes first, when someone else shows you what it is to be vulnerable, they create space for your vulnerability. And there's some special ways, I think, in amongst it all, that Queen Elizabeth's life points to this and points to the distinctive way in which Christians and Christian leaders are called to be vulnerable. just a couple of pictures that are going to come up that I think illustrate this. Firstly, when the queen was around 10, this was around the time she found out that she would be queen. You may have heard that she prayed fervently that she would then have a brother so she wouldn't have to. There's a time when, although we've had female monarchs, expectations for women were radically different so a 25-year-old woman who became queen when she ascended, seated to the throne. And then two years later, when the archbishop began to placed the responsibility of the crown upon her head, she was still just, of course, five foot four. Small stature. But the powerful walked around her all her life physically towering over her, but not many could compare to her stature of leadership. In fact, it was, it was Margaret Thatcher would have been the only prime minister that was eye to eye with her, just a little bit of information. And this picture at the time of her, her coronation, when 277 million people watched the first truly televised event, vulnerable to this dawning technology, But there was a moment that wasn't recorded. A truly vulnerable moment. Not this one. The point where she was anointed. Now the anointing took place in the back room and it was just her and the Archbishop of Canterbury and if he hadn't have done it, she wouldn't have been queen. And here she sat on a simple wooden throne and before she sat, all her finements were taken off, her robe taken off. She sat in a plain white dress on a wooden throne, anointed by the Archbishop of Canterbury with holy oil, a mixture of ambergris. Side note, do you know what ambergris is? You know, anyone else? Lulu and I happened to read a book that had a whole chapter on this this summer. Both of us read this book. Uh, So when I saw that, I was like, I actually know what that is. Do you know what it is? Whale sick. True story. Actually true. It's a very rare thing. What's that? Well, yeah, when we get into the biology de- detail. It's a bit gross, but it's basically a precious substance. Normally traded more precious than, than, than gold. It, it, it washed up every now and again on the seashore. And for 3,000 years, it's been traded, and the most precious perfume has been made out of it. That's just information. It's got nothing to do with this. We've got to get back to the, the story. But that's what ambergris is, whale sick. Anyway, civet, orange flowers, roses, jasmine, cinnamon, musk, and benzoin. And all of this, this oil anointed from a 12th century spoon as... Zadok the priest from Handel's Messiah resounded around Westminster Abbey. And those words, extracted from the Book of Kings, sung at English coronation since 973 AD, and the echoes are all back to the Hebrew Scriptures. Because the kings in the Old Testament were laid aside for service, and if they didn't serve, they were called failures. The queens are supposed to be servants too, and in Christian terms... This is trying to bring the idea of the monarchy somehow into the orbit of the passage we just read. Perhaps it fails. But that picture is the one that I want you to understand. Not only the vulnerability of this this young woman, but the vulnerability of that moment, the unrobing, the privacy. And then the kneeling before the archbishop. That's a picture, I think, of the Christian life. That's a picture of what all of us do. We must come to a point where we come to, to God on our knees. And we say, put me aside for you, and for your purposes. Anoint me. Anointing, the original word means daubing, covering. They would have just like, she would have had a ladle of oil on her head. Dripping down. I come in humility, God. I come in vulnerability. I've taken off all the pretense. Use me. Of course, the other picture in many of our minds would be when she mourned Philip, sat by herself, a desire to serve her country and honor the COVID rules, as many others were not. And then lastly, recent pictures that we've seen of her in her old age frailty. And the strange thing is that this isn't a defense for or against monarchy, but this is an extraordinary thing, because monarchs don't have to be vulnerable. Yet there is something about her life from beginning to end that speaks about vulnerability, and it's why I think so many people have connected with her. Vulnerability leads to connection. If we choose to serve and to show in love the reality of ourselves to one another, vulnerability leads to connection, or it will lead to shame and isolation. Her life in public office is an illustration of what I think all of us must come to terms with as Christians. We live in a vulnerable world, all called to do different things. None of us, I imagine, will call to be monarchs any time soon. But there's a pattern that I think is Christian for us to understand of allowing our vulnerability to be seen, not despising it or hiding. I've come into those points of anointing where we unrobe and we kneel. And we know that what we are called to do can only be of God if we first kneel. Christianity requires, I said, vulnerability, then redeems it and uses it as its power. Just briefly, I want to finish by talking about power and the power to serve. Raw power is is an ugly thing. The ability to affect the world, that's what power is. But raw power affecting other people's lives in, in force, in violence, it's not a good thing. But love takes power and redeems it. And this is what we see with Jesus. In verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, of course, has power, all the power. But the choice of what God does with power is to humble himself, having become one of us, and to love us, to love us ultimately. In a sacrificial way, a way that costs. The cross is the full demonstration of God's love for us. You may have heard earlier this week, in fact, last Monday, um, a man called Chris Cabber was shot by the police. This is in Streatham. And it's been interesting how the story has been reported. Obviously, so much has happened this week, but it's been distorted. I think it's important to draw attention to it. Partly, I think obviously other events are going on, of course, but people of the press have majored on the fact that he was a rapper. He actually isn't a rapper anymore. My, my friend lives around the corner from him. He's studying to be an architect. None of that was reported. He is due to be married shortly and his girlfriend is five months pregnant. Power was recklessly used. No gun was found. on on the car, there's inquests that's still uh, beginning to take place and we don't know all the events. But it seems that the car was used for other activities and he was wrongly killed. Raw power used recklessly is, is disgusting and horrendous. The misuse of power in the world is terrifying. I was also struck by a policeman last night. The police were phenomenal in, in, in the event that we, the vigil. There was one policeman who'd lost friends to knife crime. He grew up in these area and he teared up telling me how thankful he was for the vigil. He teared up saying, saying that this is exactly what we need to be doing and why we need to work together. Something about his vulnerability in that moment gave him a kind of authority to me. He had power by his office, but in his vulnerability, there was a different sort of power being used. See, vulnerability, vulnerability is inevitable, but what we do with it matters. Connecting with one another and then using it to serve one another. So what should we do as a church in these times? I'd call us a deeper relationship with one another, a deeper ability to share the truth of what's going on. We can't do this as we gather on a Sunday, but we can do this in in smaller groups. There's all sorts of things emerging in in this church, but if you'd like to connect to a smaller group to journey with people, just have a conversation with me or send an email connect with with God we've talked about the times of prayer that we're going to have this this week this is a time to put our roots deeply into God that sense of being uprooted and up in the air the vulnerability we all feel this is the time to put your roots deeply into one another and to God It's in bringing our vulnerability, the reality of our situations, choosing love and connection, that we find a unique power of Christianity. Therefore God exalted him, verse 9, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Having become one of us, having been truly vulnerable, having loved and served us, having used his power for others, Jesus was resurrected and ascended. He's entered in and he's overcome. And the hope that we have in Jesus, why we root ourselves together with one another in his story, is because his is the name above every name, every monarch, Every president, every prime minister, every CEO. Jesus is the exterior of the universe. But come close, humbled, serving, loving, overcoming in death and in his resurrection. We find our power when we find our voice in worship. We find our power when we find our voice in worship and one of the most wonderful stories that no one can find the source of, which means it could well have been made up. People are attributing this to Queen Elizabeth. Others say it was Victoria, but no one can quite figure it out. Even if it's not true, I think it illustrates the point, so I'm going to share it anyway. As one of the chaplains of of Queen Victoria had been preaching on the second coming of the Lord and afterward, in conversation with the preacher, the Queen exclaimed, Oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. "'Why?' asked the chaplain. The queen replied with quivering lips, her whole countenance lighted up by deep emotion. I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. We find our power when we find our voice in worship, when we remember the one who is above every other name. As we close now, I'm going to invite you in a moment to stand and worship. This is a time, I think, where we must find our voice and worship to find our power in this world, must root ourselves first in the story of the resurrected one. As you're uprooted in life, I just want to say this is a home for you. This is a place where I hope you find connection, where you can bring yourself by bringing your vulnerability, you find connection. Vulnerability is inevitable, but not necessarily bad. The Christian life requires vulnerability as we enter into the story of God. But the Christian life redeems vulnerability as the source of its power. This is the time where we worship now. And I'm going to invite us to stand and worship. And then just let me explain afterwards. I'm going to encourage us to be anointed with oil. And in our own way, remembering that, 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 that just like the Queen had to unrobe um, herself, We do this in humility and in vulnerability. And doing that, we're setting ourselves apart for God. Let me pray.